Hello and welcome everyone to the 6th episode of our weekly podcast India Colonized and I'm your host Umar Haq. We Indians can be very selective about our history, glorifying that which we admire, amnesiac about the things that we don't, and liberally distorting where it suits our religious and nationalist sentiments. What I narrate here is a tale of an unfortunate Indian Muslim woman, a Mughal princess returning from Hajj by sea, who along with her entourage and fellow passengers were captured by English pirates in the Arabian Sea and who could not be avenged by her grandfather, the Emperor Aurangzeb. It was the month of September, three and a quarter centuries ago in the year 1695. The Mughal Empire was at its zenith. For the first time in its history, the whole of Indian subcontinent had been brought under one unified rule by Aurangzeb. He held sway over his vast dominions from his newly established capital of Aurangabad. At that time, the Mughal Empire was one of the richest in the world. Every seafaring European nation had established trading relations with India, dotting its shoreline with storage and processing facilities which they called factories. No European country could afford to earn the wrath of the emperor. At his displeasure, would have wrecked their economies, caused massive loss of jobs, and put a huge dent in their exchequer. As we have previously seen in our episode of Child's War, this has been quite evident with what happens when you mess with the emperor. The Arabs of the Hejaz region viewed the Indian Muslims much as the latter look upon the former today. The Sharifs of Mecca depended on the goods that were sent by Indian Muslims for running the affairs of the two holy mosques and keenly awaited the arrival of the rich philanthropist contingent of royal Indians for the annual pilgrimage in a hope of receiving presents gifts and handouts the mughal emperor from akbar to aurangzeb always lavished hundreds and thousands of rupees millions in today's currency and thousands of tilats those are robes of honor and expensive gifts on the rulers and the people of the two holy sites but the majesty and the splendor of the mohal on land was compensated in equal measure by their impotence on the ocean where first the portuguese then the dutch followed by the french and finally by the british held complete and unchallenged hegemony in seafaring The Portuguese and the Mughals arrived in India almost simultaneously. The former landed on the coast while the latter on the lands of northwest. The tragedy that a rogue British naval captain turned pirate would wreak upon a helpless granddaughter of Aurangzeb Alamgir in 17th century had been foretold in the conduct of Vasco da Gama in 1502 during his second visit to India. When he discovered the sea route to India in his first voyage in 1498 and mercilessly burned and sunk a Muslim ship off coast of Calicut killing all 500 pilgrims on board and he carried out this wanton act as an mark of retribution and a punishment to the local ruler and people of Calicut for having murdered 70 of his countrymen during an earlier trading visit by the Portuguese Henceforth the Arabs would have dominated the trade around the Indian Ocean since Roman times had to surrender this monopoly forever to all the technologically advanced and military strong Europeans 
Portugal quickly prohibited all shipping in Arabian Sea that didn't carry their letter of permission. At this time, the future Emperor Babur was a mere 15-year-old who was embroiled in a conflict with other warlords for a kingdom to rule in Fragana. He was still far from abandoning this cherished quest for fortunes in India. The difficulty of implementing law over the oceans gave rise to piracy. Many of the great English sea captains, including Sir Walter Ralgay and Sir Francis Drake, actually alternated between the roles of commissioned naval commanders and pirates as they preyed upon Spanish colonies and ships. This suited British national interests, and the pirates were officially known as privateers and were therefore seen as assets to the empire and the crown. However, rogue pirates like the one we are going to discuss here, who worked against the interest of the crown, were pursued, apprehended, tried and punished. Piracy, when prosecuted, could have led a person to the face of death penalty. In 15th century, there was a general consensus in Europe that India and China, generally referred as to the Indies, were fabulously rich countries. With the Ottomans holding firm in the Balkans, Anatolia and the Mediterranean, the trading nations of Europe were finding it difficult to import silk and spices from Asia. Their advances in science and technology due to liberating forces of renaissance, coupled with adventurous streak, allowed them to embark upon the conquest of oceans and set them upon a path to find a sea route to India, which ultimately led to the voyage of Vasco da Gama. By the end of 16th century, Portuguese influence had waned and England had become the leading naval power and an annual trade through East India Company had gone up to hundreds of thousands of pounds sterling. With several factories established all around the coast, the rich directors and shareholders of the company had bought political influence and become the members of the House of Commons, in turn protecting and enhancing the influence of the company. This profitable cycle was suddenly endangered by the wanton acts of rape and plunder by renegade Henry Avery, leading a six-ship pirate flotilla carrying 400 pirates, mostly from Britain, but including sailors from a number of other European countries. Henry was one of the most notorious pirates of his times. His career as a pirate lasted only two years, but he was one of the few pirates to retire with his loot being apprehended or him being killed. He has been dubbed the King of Pirates. His active piracy against the Mughal pilgrimage ship is regarded as one of the most atrocious and profitable heists in history. Henry initially served in the Royal Navy as a man of pirates and privateers of the time did. He participated in the naval battles against the French and after his discharge from the Navy, he became an illegal slave trader. He later joined the Spanish naval ship to fight against the French, and when the Spanish government failed to pay the crew, the mutinied, elected Avery as a captain, changed the name of the ship to, and I quote, Fancy. Remember this name. They proceeded around the Cape of Good Hope, looking for trading ships to loot. Having plundered the many Europeans en route, he now proceeded 
to go to the Arabian Sea to target ships carrying Muslim pilgrims. Meanwhile, Emperor Aurangzeb had assumed power in 1658 and for the first time in Mughal history expanded his empire deep into South India. At its zenith, the empire had spread over 3.2 million square kilometers, ruled over 100 to 150 million subjects with a revenue of some 38.6 million pounds. He was the most orthodox of all the Mughal emperors and particularly lavish about the Hajj. He sponsored two ships every year carrying lord and ladies to Mecca, including a number of nobles and women of the harem who carried jewels and gold with them. Every and his pirate fleet waited at the straits of Bab al-Mandab, the narrow neck joining the Red and the Arabian Sea between the modern-day Yemen and the Djibouti. Waiting for the Hajj ships to pass, in 1695 when the Mughal naval convoy was unusually large. It consisted of 25 trading and pilgrimage ships including the flagship the court owned Kot Kanje Sawai meaning exceeding treasure. It was dubbed as Gun Sawai in English records. And the escort of these ships Fateh Muhammad which belonged to one Abdul Ghaffar was reportedly the wealthiest merchant in Surat the royal flagship was a formidable 1600 ton behemoth commanded by Muhammad Ibrahim equipped with 80 guns and loaded with treasure of gold and jewels it carried an armed guard of 400 musketeers and 600 passengers including a daughter or maybe a granddaughter of the Mughal emperor along with her maids and companions initially the convoy was able to elude the pirates and head for surat the pirates who had sighted the convoy gave chase and that continued for 4 to 5 days until they were able to close in on two stragglers the ganje sawai and its escort fateh muhammad Though the Indians fought valiantly there were no match to the far better experienced and equipped Europeans Fateh Muhammad was first attacked by the pirate ship Amity commanded by Captain Thomas Tew a notorious English pirate in his own fame He had vast experiences of operating in these waters in the battle Tew was shot in the stomach by a broadside of the Mughal ship and was mortally wounded The Indian musketeer bearing soldiers captured the Amity and took the crew as prisoners. The battle however weakened the resolve of the crew of the Mughal escort ship who were perhaps awed by the pursuing 46 gun fancy. Henry was able to overcome resistance and board easily. He recovered the imprisoned pirates and looted the ship. The total haul from the Fateh Muhammad was 50 to 60,000 pound close to 30 million dollars in current currency sufficient to buy the fancy 50 times over Having looted his first prey the pirates now gave chase to the far bigger Mughal flagship and caught up with it about 8 days out of Surat Henry's opening lucky broadside hit Ganje Sawai's main mast and broke it. Unable to draw away or maneuver, it became an easy target for the far more agile pirate ships. The pirate drew alongside. Joel Bear writes in his book Pirates of the British Isles that for a moment 
A volley of Indian musket fire prevented the pirates from clambering aboard, but one of the Ganjai Sawai's powerful cannon exploded instantly, killing many and demoralizing the Indian crew, who ran below deck or fought to put out the spreading fire. Henry's men took advantage of the confusion, quickly scaling the Ganjai Sawai's steep side. Peter Earl confirms in his book, The Private Wars, that a ferocious hand-to-hand battle now ensued, lasting two to three hours, in which the pirates prevailed and subdued the ship's defences. Here comes the dark part. The details of the treatment of the ship's crew and passengers have all been well-preserved in contemporary records. A man by the name Muhammad Hashim Khafi Khan who was present in Surat at the time and his narrative that he wrote is based on the accounts of eyewitnesses. According to Khan, on seeing the pirates on board, the captain Ibrahim ran below the deck, armed the slave girls and sent them to upper deck to fight the pirates. The crew and the guard of the ship gave up resistance early. Some of the armed guards did put up a disorganized resistance, killing several of Henry's men. However, after hours of leaderless struggle, the Indian resistance collapsed and the pirates took over the ship. The loot from Ganjai Sawai, the greatest ship in Indian fleet, totaled somewhere between 300 to 600,000 pounds, including 500,000 gold and silver pieces, which in current value amounts to somewhere 200 to 400 million dollars. All told, It may have been the richest ship ever taken by pirates, making Henry the richest pirate in the world. When the loot was distributed, every pirate crew member received £1,000 or about £100,000 in contemporary currency. On top of his, each man received an individual share of gemstone. As Henry had promised his men, They now found themselves glutted with gold, enough to dazzle the eyes. Henry and his men didn't end the ship's agony with stealing its wealth. The next turned their attention to the passengers and especially the women on board. According to Hafi Khan, the victorious pirates subjected their captivities to an orgy of horror that lasted for several days, raping and killing their terrified prisoners' deck by deck. The pirates reportedly utilized torture to extract information from their prisoners who had hidden the treasure in the ship's holds. Some of the Muslim women apparently committed suicide to avoid violation, while those women who didn't kill themselves or die from the pirates' brutality were taken aboard the fancy for the pleasure of other pirates. The deposition of those of Avery's men who have arrested and tried provide vivid details about these atrocities in the book, which is titled Pirates of the Eastern Seas. Author Charles Gray quotes that the pirate John Sparks testifies in his last dying words and confesses that the inhuman treatment and merciless torture inflicted on the poor Indians and their women still affected his soul. But nevertheless, he was more repentant of the horrid barbarities he had committed, though the acts of piracy he thought were of lesser concern. Later accounts would tell of how Henry himself said 
he had found something more pleasing than the jewels aboard usually reported to be the emperor aurangzeb's daughter granddaughter t fox quotes contemporary east india company sources that the kanjeswai was carrying a relative a close relative of the emperor thank you everyone for tuning in for today's episode please stay in touch for the second part of the same episode coming up next week and also let us know in the comments below how you liked our episode and if you really liked our episode please consider like share and subscribe to our podcast thank you very much and have a great day